welcome to the Harnessing Tailwind podcast. My name is Adriel Klein, and I've got an awesome guest for you guys to listen to today. His name is Matt Cassiopo. He is a bicycle tourist riding from Alaska to Argentina. We're here in the beautiful land of Nicaragua, and he's here sitting across from me today at this lovely co- coffee shop uh, just at, right by the beach in uh, southern Nicaragua. Matt, how are you doing? I am doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, um, so Matt, I want to start off just giving just giving a little bit of background about where you're from um, and how did you get into bicycle touring? All right. Well, uh, I originate from South Florida in a little town called Fort Myers. And um, about 10 years ago, I moved to California. So I tell most people I am a California guy. Uh, Bike touring started for me about three years ago, right around COVID. And um, yeah, it was just something uh, exciting seeming, uh, something that I had no experience with, none of my friends had experience with, but uh, it seemed like a good way to explore the state I had been living for the past 10 years. So yeah, I started with a a 10-day trip down the California coast, and that was my introduction to bike touring, and uh, that changed my life. That was uh, the turning point for me. Awesome. So, uh, yes. So if, do you mind giving a little bit of context on the part, where did you start on the California coast? Just that 10 day journey. Um, I know, I know particularly that it's one of the, uh, top spots for bike touring, but where did you start and what was that experience like? And how did that kind of start a, uh, how did that experience, um, whet your interest for more? Yeah, so at the time I was living just north of San Francisco in Sonoma County, wine country, and we decided, my two good friends and I decided that was uh, a good place to start. So we started uh, in Northern California and did uh, about 700 miles to San Diego. And it took us about 10 days. We, We were all new to it and didn't do any type of camping. It was just pure credit card touring. And for those of you who don't know that, what that means, it means Airbnbs, hotels, restaurants, just uh, really luxury bike touring, lightweight. Um, And yeah, at the end of the trip, we got to the border of Mexico and my two friends uh, were exhausted, but I had a a little bit more in me and I wanted to keep going. Um, And that, decision to keep going which took a few months to actually start was uh, definitely a turning point for me and uh on my solo bike touring career uh yeah mexico mexico was the next mexico's next gotcha so how uh so you finished this 10-day trip ended in san diego you decided we wanted to keep going how much further did you go on that trip um from the border down through mexico yeah, so after that trip ended, I had to finish some work, work-related work things back in Northern California. So it wasn't uh, an immediate turn to crossing the border. Um, but yeah, I had a few months to 
finish my work, finish, uh, pack my things, try to recruit someone to come with, but most of my friends were a little hesitant about Mexico and uh, the safety aspect of that. And uh, when the day came, it was uh, just me doing it, and it went from the smooth Sonoma County roads to pretty rough Tijuana streets, and uh, one of a, a real wake-up call to what was ahead for me. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, so I want to hear a little bit more about the entire the entirety of your plan for this trip. So. You mentioned Alaska to Argentina, but it's not exactly, you're doing it in bits and pieces. Um, so can you give our listeners just a bit of an overview of what you've already accomplished um, and what's basically your plan for finishing off the, the rest of the route? Like you're halfway through cause you're in Nicaragua right now, but um, over how many different trips was this? And uh, like, what's your sort of timeline for, for finishing all the way to Argentina? Yeah, so uh, at the time, starting in Mexico, the plan was not Argentina. It was just go as far south as I can for the next two or three months. Uh, the idea was get through Mexico. And as I was traveling through Baja, I would run into people with that gave me three different types of reactions. One was uh, excitement and just just pure wonder, like, wow, how are you doing this? Another was, oh, you must be crazy. And the third reaction was uh, usually from motorcyclists saying, why don't you just go to Argentina? And that was the first time I had heard, why don't you just go to Argentina? And it just repeated in my head for those long days on the bike going through the desert why don't you just go to Argentina and um, I think shortly after hearing that I decided that will be the path so um, the next few weeks I got through Baja and then crossed over to Mazatlan and was in mainland Mexico when my bike got stolen so the trip ended uh, after two months and uh, I had to uh, go back to the drawing board and figure out how I was gonna pull off this this the big one. Gotcha. Um, well, sorry to hear about your bike. Uh, I've had a bike stolen before, so I know I know how much that sucks. Uh, but it seems like you're all right, so that's that's the more important <laughs> thing. I know a lot of cyclists like worry about the bike first before themselves, but uh, that you're all right is 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 better. Um, so, did you? Did you remind me, did you already do Alaska and all the uh, Canada and all that? Or is that still up? Uh, is that still just on the uh, still on the drawing board right now? Yeah. So uh, after part two ended, I had to fly back to the States and get a new bike. And it was uh, it was a hard day for me, but I gave myself uh, a good six hours to be angry and then move past it and know that this was not meant to be and uh, I'd come back to Mexico speaking better Spanish and with a better bike so uh, that's exactly what I did it took about six months for me to restart the trip and I did this second third tour with uh, a girlfriend at the time so we did uh, from Puerto Vallarta to Cancun we did the second half of Mexico and um, at the end of that trip, I knew that I was going to be flying to Alaska 
in the summertime and do the Alaska to California section. So it was starting to get mapped out that this was going to be a four, five, six part journey. Um, I didn't realize how quickly that was going to happen, um, but uh, yeah, that was just uh, a, less than a year ago. Gotcha. So um, can you describe, uh, I mean, those are two totally separate places, Alaska to uh, California and then California down to, you say Puerto Vallarta, was yes. it? Okay, cool. So can you just describe like what, I mean, clearly, clearly like the northern part is going to be more remote, I'd assume, and, and more uh, kind of wilderness and uh, um towns are further away but can you describe like the difference in in that northern part northern north america and then like the you know towards getting to central america just either your preferences or your uh takes on the the difference of those two sections uh yeah yeah so uh mexico food was cheap Food was plentiful. Uh, you had hotels that were 10 U.S. dollars a night, so it was kind of uh, it was kind of similar in the sense that I wasn't doing as much camping. It was a little bit more of a credit card touring experience, and uh, and I knew Alaska was going to be the next level. It was going to be gravel roads. It was going to be bringing my own food. Um, it was going to be full full time camping. So when I got up to Alaska. Three months after that bike tour ended, I arrived June 15th to Prudhoe Bay, which is right on the Arctic Circle, or right on the Arctic Ocean, about 300 miles north of the Arctic Circle. So it was as remote as remote gets, just barren, um, barren, um, what's the word for it? Uh, tundra, tundra. And 24 hours of light at the time. This is June 15th, so. I arrived at like 10 a.m. and started pedaling. No cars, no humans. Um, this went on for maybe seven days, just no human interaction, and all my food was was on the bike. So um, it was pretty freeing to be that far north and 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 have just complete, uh, just completely away from all my responsibilities and problems and. Um, yeah, it was. It's a, actually the longest stretch in the Americas of where no gas station is, no store is. It's about 480 miles to get to Fairbanks. So you gotta when you get up there, you're committing to uh, a life without any help, and you bring bear spray, you bring enough fuel to to have food for the whole time, and uh, and you gotta bring something to cover your eyes because the sun does not go down. It's <laughs> Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's amazing. I've only, I mean, I've heard stories about about this, but I don't know if I've ever met someone who's actually been all the way up there. Um, I want to touch a bit more on that northern section, 480 miles, no services, nothing. You said you carry some bear spray. Um, what animals did you encounter out there? I'm a huge uh, animal lover, but more of like animal in the wild than pets. So um, I, I, for my tours, like. Uh, I, I bike through Yellowstone. I've seen bears. I've seen elk. But um, you're 
in a place where the animals aren't necessarily very scared of you. They're, this is their territory. So what kind of wildlife did you see out there? And did you ever have to use your bear spray? <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I, I did not have to use my bear spray. Um, but there was no shortage of grizzly bears in that area. So uh, at times, they would be as close as 100 meters, never, never a distance that concerned me. But uh, doing a little research, I knew they could run faster than I could bike, and I knew that uh, they eat a lot of calories each day. So this, I would have been a, a good meal. But uh, luckily, it was uh, the time of year was right after hibernation. They were uh, just getting, just waking up, and uh, about two thirds their normal size. So they were kind of on a vegetarian diet, mostly plant eating. And, uh, yeah, the grizzlies never never uh, came too close, but uh, I saw a lot of muskox, which I had never seen before. They kind of look like buffalo, a little bit smaller, um, a lot of elk and caribou. Um, so it, it definitely had its share of large wild animals, uh, but uh, they were a little concerned about my squeaky bike. They were they were definitely hear me look up wonder what I was doing there and uh, generally go the other direction so that was uh, having a squeaky bike might be the move if you're uh, up there Wow cool uh, well glad you didn't become meals on wheels up there <laughs> um, but uh, yeah definitely for any bike tourists like good good thing to have bear spray you know they'll outrun you out climb you they, they're they're bigger faster stronger than you in any way so uh glad you made it out there alive um oh yeah talk about like the elements there i mean it's june so it's just about summertime but i still imagine it's pretty cold you still have some snow up there um so can you just talk about like how you prepared yourself with gear and uh were you freezing cold that night? How are you able to keep warm up there? Yeah, I had a, a good sleeping bag during the day. I'm sorry, it was day all the time. So when I was riding, I was generally uh, comfortable with just a puffy jacket, and I didn't need anything more than that. Um, what was happening was a lot of the snow, especially in like the lower terrain, was uh, starting to melt. And... A, a bigger concern was becoming mosquitoes. So not many people associate, not many people who haven't traveled to Alaska associate it with mosquitoes, but it's got some of the densest mosquito populations in the world. And it's pretty quickly I uh, realized I had to wear jeans to keep the mosquitoes from biting my legs and a mosquito net while riding. So for a good two weeks I was riding with a mosquito net on and you couldn't escape these things even like when I got up to the Brooks Range where I was going downhill 30 40 miles per hour they would draft my bike and be with me the entire time so I uh, I definitely took some mosquitoes uh, on a ride for me with me um, and yeah in those sections a lot of snow for sure they it, it never really melts there but uh, yeah that's yeah, I mean, people talk about bike touring and, and uh, to talk about the good things, but there's definitely some hard moments. Like, I know I know firsthand, like, either the heat or the wind or the cold or whatever it is. So 
um, you know, that's 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 amazing that you still got out there and you did it. Like that's probably one of the hardest sections of, of road to even travel, especially just being out there by yourself. Um, so. Yeah, can you talk just a bit about like um, we we had chatted about this a little bit earlier before the podcast, but just about like the role that bike touring has in your life, and, and you know it's it's definitely a challenge that is sort of you're creating for yourself by by doing this whole thing, um, and just like I guess like uh, the why behind everything, you know, like for for you, you talked a little bit about um, you wanted to challenge yourself with with something new, but just like the main motivators in your life behind like why why do this why why not live the why not you know do what you were doing before like why uh put yourself through harm's way to to do all these things is it worth it through the through the places you see like what's the main kind of um reward you're seeking for or even not reward but what is the main what is the primary like um motivator for you to do this massive journey yeah that's a good question um i think the answer came to me pretty soon after my first bike tour and me kind of having this definition of what success was during my 20s and it being very financially oriented and um I was on that path and and getting the nice car and the nice house, but it was it was a pretty hollow life and it took that first bike tour and spending just a f- couple hundred bucks over the course of a, a ten days to realize uh, how little I needed to live such a rich life. And um, I once read you when making a decision with life, you should always ask yourself the five W's. And it's not what you would think. It's it, the five W's are why, 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 and why. So once you answer one why, you need to ask why again and again and again until you get the root of the reason behind doing it. And uh, that kind of process uh, really brought me to I want to live uh, like a kid. I want to live like a free life again. And uh, that is what bike touring is for me. It's it's the ultimate freedom it's uh, being able to be your true self and um, being able to communicate with strangers it's a human experience it's the uh, being able to appreciate uh, the width of a seat wider than three inches it's the it's the cold water at the end of the day it's things that I was really losing touch with and losing it's it, it just had lost its value it was uh, it was just you. Things become normalized in your life, and uh, you you stop being grateful for for all the things that we have. And uh, and I think bike touring and this kind of uh, suffer fest, as some people describe it, is a great way to uh, become humble and uh, just appreciate where how good you have it, and appreciate every day. Uh, because you worked hard to get to the end of the day and, and you're in a new destination. And there's just so many positives that have come with this, uh, this tougher style of life. But uh, for me, it was, it was an easy decision. It was an easy decision to, uh, to change directions. And uh, yeah, that was three years ago. That's great. That's great. I mean, it sounds a bit like the yin and the yang in a way, like the suffering that you, that you experience out on the road 
uh, has its benefits, makes you appreciate that glass of water. Um, clearly, it puts you in great physical shape to be doing that. And you're uh, not so concerned about, oh, can I eat that cookie? Like, yeah, you can eat the cookie when you've biked uh, 70 miles uh, in every day. So, um, yeah, cheers to you, man, for, for accomplishing this. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask about is uh, for people who are just getting into bike touring, like you've had mentioned your first tour was a 10-day tour, um, 700 miles, I think, which is roughly a, a strong a distance for, for just starting up. So did you do a lot of training before your first tour, um, or how did you like maintain a, a good shape to be able to, um, to even start on that first journey? And what do you do now it also like uh, piggybacking off that like are you um, clearly you're on a, a little bit of a hiatus from bike touring right now but what's your main like strategies to to stay in good shape for uh, for this stuff yeah I think there's a, a big difference between doing short-term bike touring and and what I'm currently doing which is long-term uh, if I were to advise someone on long-term bike touring I'd say don't worry about training. You will train on your trip. Uh, it, it's a few. It'll be a few days of discomfort, but once you get that rhythm going, you're you're there. You're training. Um, as for a shorter tour, like the 10-day one I did in 2020, um, I I read some forums. I was probably riding two or three times a week, 50 miles. Um, I think it's like preparing for any type of marathon or triathlon. I think generally if you can do half the distance comfortably, the the rest will come on in, at the day of the event. Um, and if you're doing it with friends, they'll help you push through. Um, I'll never forget the first day. It was uh, an 80 mile day and it was from Bodega Bay, California to San Francisco. And it was about 80 miles. We had headwind all day. It was a really hard day. And I remember the final, our Airbnb was at the top of uh, a San Francisco hill. And uh, I barely made it to the top. I ended up collapsing in the driveway, just completely spent, like uh, really having a hard time. But it seemed like the perfect start to what has now been a three year on and off trip. Uh, on my bike so I I think even after the first few days you might have trouble but just keep pushing through and you're gonna laugh about it as uh, as time goes on hell yeah I love that just keep on pushing through um, it sounds like you at times just like went all out and, and um, something that I like the analogies from David Goggins actually he's, he's like ringing out a rag and just keep on ringing it until like every single drop comes out and it seems like that's that's sort of what what you've been doing on this and pushing yourself physically um uh i also wanted to touch on actually shifting gears a little bit kind of your entrepreneurial side so um you've been involved in businesses from a very young age um clearly this is a little bit of a uh, shift away from the business side of things and just embracing other parts of life um but can you talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial background and actually do you are you and if there's any like uh as you're out here riding is there any times where you see like a banana stand and you're like hey i could you know make that into uh i could do i could i could cut those prices in half or 
do you ever have these ideas uh having having an entrepreneurial mind do you ever are out here and you're thinking of your next venture yeah for uh, any entrepreneurs listening uh they can they know that there's no turning that off that switch is always on um it's, it takes like a little self-control to not want to start drawing up a business plan and and figuring out how to get involved in a community how to how to how to start something um but having spent so many years doing that type line of work um i'm i'm happily not pursuing any of those thoughts and i'm leaving them as thoughts not even on a drawing board um I've got no doubt I'll fall back into that rhythm when this tour is over, but given every day on every day being a new location, I know uh, I know I need to be patient about what's next. And uh, and one of my favorite authors and uh, podcasts uh, is the Tim Ferriss show. And he wrote a great book called The Four Hour Workweek. one of the themes he talks about is stepping away from his business and stepping away from his life for 18 months and how much more successful his businesses and life became by not being around and not micromanaging and I think I have a tendency to want to have so much control with these businesses that um, even now that I'm traveling they seem to be what what ties I still have with some of the businesses seem to be running just as well if not better without me there so uh, yeah um, I'm sorry your question uh, was remind me your question yeah yeah you touched on a lot of the points um, but like actually actually you pretty you touched on it pretty well so you pretty much answered it Um, I guess like any just other like tips or advice for people who are you know, in the very early stages of entrepreneurship, thinking about starting a business, um, any any words of wisdom you'd give for, for that? Absolutely. So a lesson that I learned the hard way, which which unfortunately I, I tend to learn most of these lessons the hard way, is uh, you can't do it all on your own. Find someone that complements your strengths and partner with them and you will accomplish more than twice as much with someone else and that's it's it's a simple math formula like one other person equals more than two times your output so um, that is something that uh, really helped me with my recent uh, entrepreneurial ventures and it also allows you to uh, step away from a business when you when you're doing it solo it's your life is completely consumed by that. Um, another piece of advice is uh, be prepared for the first couple years to be miserable. Like you're gonna be, you're. I shouldn't say miserable. It's exciting, but it's your life. You you have to let it consume you. Um, there's a reason why so many people don't do this. It's because you need to give it everything you have. And uh, a great quote I love is entrepreneurs live a few years of their life like nobody's willing to to live the rest of their life like nobody can and I remember hearing that at a young age and that was a a really powerful uh, uh, statement that I wanted and it kind of goes along with this type of bike touring too it's like living 
uh, kind of a rough life for a couple years to live the rest of your life with these stories and these experiences. And um, and I was, um, on a third point, I was really lucky to have a father that was um, an entrepreneur himself. He uh, started a theater. He was a director for like live plays and um, one of his uh, one of his jobs is to inspire actors and shows and give them quotes and and philosophical ideas to help them get into a character and uh, me being his son he just injected me with so many of these things ideas and thoughts and uh, one of the funny ones that I like to repeat to people is uh, he would always ask me Matt how did you fail this week and he never asked me how I scored a school in soccer or how I aced that test he said Matt, how did you fail this week? And if, he, he always said, if you weren't, you weren't trying hard enough unless you were failing every single week. And that really stuck with me. So as an entrepreneur, you need to fail. You need to keep trying. You need to fail, fail again, fail better. And, uh, and if you can't handle uh, failures, this, this uh, entrepreneur thing is not for you. You got you to gotta take take with it it's part of it's a double-edged uh or uh, double-sided coin same same coin um yeah yeah it's it's part of the beautiful journey of of that world that gave me chills and you're talking about uh live a few years hard now so that the rest of your life you can live like you you want to and it sounds like that's what you're doing right here with this tour so Absolutely. um that's that's amazing um you talked a little about about risk and how that is how did you fail today things like that um so a little fact about matt that you all might know might know not know is that he is what he described as a failed stand-up comedian but i rather want to rephrase as an up-and-coming stand-up comedian so um something that i can relate to as well as i've i've been up there bombing on stage um but in terms of uh, doing a bicycle tour, you come up with all this material um, of things that are funny, things that you want to share. So, can you just talk a little bit about like your, I guess, your plans for being possibly like a touring stand-up comedian by bicycle? Is that is that in the cards? Could that be? Something that a city, that you can make your way uh, to Argentina and have tour have a, a do a, a bicycle touring comedy tour. Oh man, that's a funny thought. I don't <laughs> I don't really see that in the cards until uh, at least my Spanish is better, and then I need to see if I can make Spanish funny. Because um, right now uh, I can't do that at all. But. Uh, I certainly see myself getting more material as I continue this bike path, and it's an interesting perspective uh, being this guy on a bike and how people treat you because of that and how uh, you, you just see the world differently, as you can imagine, or as if you've bike toured, you, you know. Um, so I really am trying to capture that with with funny stories and I'm doing some writing myself that I hope to turn into something but uh, yeah it's it's been a really uh, it's been a really funny journey pretty much every week I encounter someone that makes me uh, gives me material for another act um, not long ago I was in uh, Canada just this past summer 
and for some reason, uh, it's, it's actually for the reason that I look like a homeless person right now, but I get a lot of homeless people uh, attracted to me and wanting to speak with me. And there was a day in front of, uh, I was in front of Walmart eating a sandwich and a homeless guy comes up to me and he's like, uh, hey man, you got any bungee cords for sale? And I look up from my sandwich and kind of give him a, a look, like what? And he's like, I don't know, man. You just kind of look like someone who had bungee cords for sale. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, at what point did I start looking like this guy who's got extra bungee cords, let alone bungee cords for sale at a competitive price with Walmart, which is right behind me. So I, uh, I look at him with the most serious face and I say, all right, man, I got 12, 16, and 24-inch cords. You buy three, I'll give you the fourth for free. No, that's, uh, that's a little work in progress right there. But true story, I was asked if I had bungee cords for sale uh, in front of Walmart. So, uh, yeah, it seems like material's out there. It's just uh, being able to structure it and, uh, and put yourself out there by saying it in front of people, even though it's going to miss a lot of the time. So be prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I feel that with the bungee cords, actually, for uh, for <laughs> when I was riding, um, it was actually funny. I had made it, like, almost all the way across the country with bungee cords. I have the, the uh, bike rack in the back and bungee cord my, my tent, a couple other things to that. And it's a bungee cord, like, with just a standard bungee cord. You know, there's a hook at the end. And some guy was telling me, like, oh, you don't want that because that hook could actually, uh, if, if it pops off, it could get caught in a spoke and it could uh, mess a lot of things up. Oh, yeah. And he actually gave me these special bungee cords that uh, at the end of the hook, there's like a, a clip mm -hmm. so that it can't acci accidentally get on one of your spokes. And it was so funny because... I was like, oh, I won't need it, but whatever, I'll throw it in my bag. I, I you know, I, was, I said thank you to the guy. He, he, he um, just gave it to me, and I didn't use it. But the next day, my the, the same exact thing happened that he said <laughs> would have it. The the spoke actually hook the uh, hook actually got on my spoke, and uh, I was riding, and and the whole thing got tangled up in my gears and all that. So, uh, bungee cords. You know, you gotta be careful with uh, with which ones you get. So, but but uh, hey, another entrepreneurial idea as well. This this mix between entrepreneurship and uh, a comedy t together. Um, but I do want to talk about like your plans for the future. Like you're in Nicaragua now. You had mentioned to me when we first met, and I think we first met in the kitchen when I was. He, uh, Matt overheard me talking about uh, to someone else about. Oh yeah, I've done a little bike tour. I would love to like ride around this place called Ometepe Island, which is near here. But um, uh, I wanted to, and Matt overheard me. He talked about bike touring. I was like, we've got to have, I've got to have you on the podcast. So I'm glad we can make this happen. Um, but tell me a little bit about your plans here. You, so you mentioned you're trading pedaling for paddling in surfing. Um, let's talk a little bit about surfing. So another thing that you put yourself out there you don't know if you're going to succeed but i take it maybe you're already a good surfer you you live 10 years in california so um what experience do you have with surfing and what what kind of surfing are you doing over here yeah uh you know my surfing experience is pretty pretty limited i did do some in california uh 
quite a couple weeks in in Bali, which the water there is incredible, nice and warm. But my tolerance for cold water is uh, is not the highest. So being in even this southern Pacific, um, I find myself uh, getting a little too cold for pleasure after about an hour on the water. So um, I got a love hate relationship with uh, surfing, but it's something that keeps me active during these uh, rest days. And I think um, I think if you have the time to do a tour long term, it's important to balance it with uh, other sports and other activities, uh, whether that's studying Spanish and doing brain work or doing upper body work, uh, because you don't get much of that on the bike. So uh, surfing, being in this town, uh, made the most sense. But um, my real um, side passions are climbing and and kayaking, which uh, I have both uh, uh, my climbing gear and a kayak being mailed to me, like a blow-up kayak being mailed to me in Panama, where uh, my Panama to Colombia leg will be on the water. So that'll be... Uh, 250 kilometers of uh, paddling instead of pedaling and I'll break the bike down and put it on the top of the kayak and um, I'm hoping it'll take me two weeks but uh, I've read stories of it taking people as much as three three to four weeks so uh, I certainly will have uh, enough rice to survive for those weeks and um, I am yeah really looking forward to that part of this uh, this journey all right, you just you just blew my mind with that. I uh, I'm glad we got here. This is one of these little things that you're discovering about people as you go. You're literally paddling from Panama to Colombia. Yeah. Holy cow! Um, you better hope that that uh, rat that that uh, kayak is a good quality good quality <laughs> one, right? No holes. Are you gonna bring a patch kit just in case you know something happens? Uh, short answer: Yes. <laughs> gotcha. Um, okay. The other questions are: Have you ever done anything this epic in your life? <laughs> oh man. Um, I guess I guess you got to ask someone the definition of epic. Uh, as far as I, water sports. As far, uh, as, far as, as water sports. As, as that long of a distance. No, I've never done. I've done a. a one overnight kayaking trip uh, on a very tame river in California. So this is uh, by no means something I have experience with. But uh, I find uh, from all my learning, uh, you got to just send it and go for it. And uh, you figure it out as you go. And uh, this might not be like the best training ground for something like this. But uh, I've got a lot of... Um, confidence in myself and my ability to um, yeah communicate with people if it comes down to uh, a rough situation or rough seas um, and yeah something about the unknown I just get drawn to it like a light like a bug to light it's just uh, it's just it keeps me moving keeps me excited about uh, the future plans and I don't think uh, I don't think having a lot of experience would have me as excited. So, yeah. Um, you you mentioned like other people would be able to help you out, but like you're you're literally alone on the ocean. Like what? As far as as far as uh, yeah, like how 
first of all, you're not communicating with. I take it you don't really have any term, uh, any form of communication. So as far as like navigation and everything, like how are you doing that? And also, you you said you're eating rice. Is that you just just dried goods that you're cooking on the um, on the oh jet boil? Okay. Um, yeah, like <laughs> I don't even know where to start. This is just blowing my mind. Because um, for those listeners who are just tuning in or who are just also wrapping their mind around this, Matt is planning on on paddling a kayak from uh, Panama to Colombia. Uh, just navigation-wise, what? How are you? How are you relying on this? And what if, like, what if the wind is blowing you the wrong way? Like, yeah. is that a huge? Is that a big concern? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm so curious about this. Yeah, so um, I didn't think this was possible until maybe six months ago. I uh, saw a blog of this guy called the Bike Wanderer. Unfortunately, he, he passed away last year, but uh, he did a pretty uh, similar trip from Alaska to Argentina, and he's the one person that I saw who reported to have done this and successfully have, has done this. Um, so I got a little bit of beta on how to do it. You do it on the Caribbean side. You've got to do it on a really tight window. Like April is kind of the only time span that seems right to do it. Um, you're at the border of rainy season and uh, winter, which is now, is got a lot of like heavy, heavy waves, and and the current is not going to be with you. So. Um, it's that perfect middle ground, and I know he had days where he only made five kilometers after pedaling all day, or paddling all day. So I'm certainly prepared to have uh, negative ride days. Um, but uh, yeah, you're bordering between the Darien Gap, which is a pretty dangerous area of southern Panama and northern Colombia, and a series of islands. Uh, can't remember how many hundreds maybe even thousands um to your left so you're in between the two and uh sometimes it takes 10 15 20 kilometers to get to another island but at those spots you'll have uh, a place where you can park the boat and cover from shelter uh, cover from rain or whatever and um i don't know i i don't see it being rougher than like living and doing things in Alaska it's it's a tropical place sure current and and headwind intimidates me but it's not like something I'm too surprised or something that I'll be defeated by um, so yeah I can't uh, report too much about it at this moment but if we speak again in a couple months I'll uh, give you all the juicy details and hopefully have uh, some photos to share as well Wow. Um, I, uh, yeah, that's, that's really incredible. Um, I wish you best of luck. I hope you have a very safe journey on that. Um, I was originally thinking you were going the Pacific side and I was concerned like they would blow you away to, uh, in the middle of the Pacific ocean. But now that I hear Caribbean side, I'm like, all right, if he gets blown away, he'll end up in Jamaica or Cuba <laughs> or something like that. So, uh, not that it's not a still, uh, um, adventurous feat, but, um, Wow, that's that you're really you're really doing you're really going all the way, um, you know, manpower journey, and that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, you talk about with athletes and people who go to the gym, don't skip leg day, but this is actually the opposite. Like, don't skip upper body day. That's a 
that's a lot of a lot of work on your upper body and um uh i think that's important like you're mixing it up a little bit you're you're uh you know using 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 everything on the bike i think at least for me when i used to do all biking i realized i was neglecting uh other other muscle groups and all that so um that's an epic way to really embrace embrace it um wow so just a lot to soak in but but i think uh it, if everything if anything else like wish you best of luck on the rest of your journey we might have to do a part two of this actually <laughs> um and, and would love to you know continue to stay in touch and, and actually would be awesome to get a part two uh at the rest of to hear maybe even uh at the end of argentina to get back get you back on here and talk about everything so matt wanted to thank you so much um anything else uh that you wanted to mention as far as maybe just um if you could give any words of, of wisdom or any just like final takeaways about your trip so far the rest of your trip and, and maybe for anyone who's um thinking about going on an adventure or or even not even someone who's maybe just like living their life but not feeling super fulfilled with it mm. um any any kind of final takeaways before we uh we we send you off uh yeah you know the difficulty of doing any trip um is just just getting there it's not going to be the the struggling on the bike or the struggling paddling whatever your sport or interest you have it's just buying the flight or making the time with work but it's so important to balance the balancing act and finding that balance in life and i think uh, a lot of us uh, are just stuck in this rat race i was as well and it took uh, it took 30 years before I figured out uh, how to escape it, and uh, I have no regrets about that decision, and I don't think you will either. I think uh, you'll learn a lot about yourself, and uh, and no better time than the present. And uh, I really appreciate you letting me uh, speak with you, and uh, I look forward to part two. Awesome, Matt. Same same here. Well, uh, thanks again for being on. Um, for those of you listening, this is the Harnessing Tailwind podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And uh, Matt, wish you best of luck on your journey. Thanks for being on. <laughs>